Welcome to the Todd DeVoe Show, exploring the best ideas and lessons for leaders. Good morning, good morning, or good afternoon, depending on where you are at in this world. And well, before we get into today's show, I want to thank Buffalo Computer Graphics. And since 2020, since 2002, Buffalo Computer Graphics D-Land Emergency Management Solutions has helped teams across the United States and Canada prepare for, respond to, and report to report on emergencies. D-Land secure web-based tools are extremely intuitive. And their automated custom workflows reduce the data entry and error. And we're going to talk about that today a lot with DLAN. And any organization can easily track, manage, and report multiple incidents from one unified solution today. Well, we have our guest, Brian Head, is from DLAN. And, well, we're going to talk about processes. And in a well-organized or in a well-oiled organization, right, every team member should be dealing with a process daily of some sort. And it's not just an issue for managers, it's everybody, right, from bottom to top. And they should be contributing to how the process is organized and, orig- and, and works. And you think about process, workflows, procedures, um, SOPs, it's how organizations' life really works. And even small teams have processes, even if they're not formalized, um, you know, by saying things, this is how we do them, this is the way we've always done them, although I hate that term. Um, that is really what processes are. So, um, and then, so tasks, they turn into processes. And when you start to think about processes and how to introduce them to improve your team's productivity um, and managing crisis, uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. So, Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. So, you're the process guy from, uh, from Buffalo Computer Graphics. Uh, first, you know, let's talk about your background. Um, you started in public safety how old were you yeah so i was actually uh 16 started in the local fire department ems uh you know and then uh decided to you know go to college uh once i got to be 18 19 years old um and really focus on on that vertical on emergency services and so through that time you know even back in the fire days there's always a process to do everything you do right i mean there's a reason why we do everything there's uh, tools are kept in one location on the on the fire truck and the fire engine, um, so you know exactly where they are, and, and there's a process to putting them away and cleaning them. Right? Um, is that how you got interested in the processes, or what got you there? Yeah, no, it, it really wasn't until I got into emergency management. Um, you know, I was I was kind of a, a converted um, into uh, you know processes a lot of times have a negative connotation so we're yeah. hey it's more things we've got to do and more paperwork and you know we're, we've got to follow all these uh, you know check boxes um, you know congratulations and, and, you made yeah. it program so uh, you know that was uh, you know something that initially was was my uh, you know observation but once I got into emergency management I, I found that a good process you know, actually um, ensured that, you know, the right things get done by the right people at the right time. And and that was learning from a lot of uh, individuals that came before me. You know, I, I tried to be like a sponge and absorb as much as I could from, you know, the war stories and, and the people that had a lot of institutional knowledge. And, you know, it was always, if you've got a good process, then, 
you know, that helps facilitate that coordination, cooperation, communication, those three C's, you know, it helps you reduce risk and improve safety. Um, it can help address the legal and financial considerations or other critical and, and uh, sensitive functions that may be there. And, you know, it kept you out of the, the OEFP or the Office of Emergency Finger Pointing when things went bad, right? Because a process can, you know, help uh, defend and account for some of those actions taken. And, and that was something that was big for me because a lot of times, you know, being a new emergency management, you know, you, you didn't really know all the, the background. And, um, you know, if, if you could develop some of these things, um, you know, it, it gave you a good kind of foundation, uh, you know, to launch off from. So that's, that's kind of where I started getting involved in that. When I think of processes, I, I go through the concept of, of systems thinking and, and it's kind of new for me, right? Uh, I would say new in the last three years. Uh, I've really been in implementing the idea of systems thinking into what I do. And what I mean by that is everything that we do is connected in some way. And I think that's a, a critical, really, distinction of, of it's not just we're not following SOP to follow an SOP, right? Um, on the other side of it, too, though, is that the SOPs and these processes aren't there to stop you from doing your job. Um, if you need to, you can go outside of them, but they're there to keep you so you don't miss a piece. Am I am I on the right track for you? No, I, absolutely. I, I think that's a hundred percent. You know, it's it's similar to you know why why do you look at an SOG versus an SOP? If an SOP is you have to do all these things, but an SOG is more of a guide. You know, your process is is that same outline. Um, and certainly, I think you know in the last two years we've seen that right. There were a lot of folks that had processes in place. Um, you know, let's let's just look at COVID. Right. There were a lot of organizations that all of a sudden had to implement new processes or um, look at new workflows because they had never planned for some of the things that COVID required them to do. So resource management is a great piece of that or inventory management. Um, you know, a lot of folks, um, you know, not only. Uh, we're not used to that level of detail. Like we've never been asked to track assets and resources. We've never been asked to do a, a, a pod. Um, you know, we may be now in a different role with our health departments than than traditionally we would be. Or from a corporate standpoint, um, you know, we're tracking, uh, you know, different data sets and, and triggers that we didn't have before. Now add on top of that, um, you know, the, the life cycle of those things um, and the reporting elements alone, and then to complicate it, now we have to consider a remote or hybrid in-person environment. How does that change, uh, you know, the process that we have? Are our processes able to account for that? And then you look at the tools and that you're using, and, and can they adapt, um, you know, to the, those process pieces as well? Absolutely. You know, uh, first, I forgot to say earlier, happy birthday to the United States Navy, um, you know, it's uh as a Navy guy myself, we learn processes and steps as a, you know, young sailor coming up. Right. Um, and because if you don't follow those um, people's lives are at risk. Right. And excuse me, I think of the electricians um, all the time with another safety people. So people are involved in safety, understand this completely of the lockout tag out uh, system. Right. And that, um, there has to be a process into turning things off, locking things down, and then turning things back on. And otherwise, you can either screw systems up or you can uh, kill somebody. Um, is that the same concept of if you think if you're applying those processes 
to uh, emergency management? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think depending on the different verticals that you're in with emergency management, um, you know, one of the challenges that people have um, when they're doing those types of processes and, and they're looking at what are those outcomes um, you know, sometimes you see folks that make an organizational structure change. Um, you know, they're changing job aids and checklists, staffing requirements, even sometimes facility design. Those things kind of uh, are done in a vacuum without looking at the process. And, and to that point, you know, where uh, you now could have a, a detrimental effect down the road, um, because then you try to bring in process after those things and, and, and you could find that there are some issues um, you know, with some of those those items or those decisions that have been made at that executive level. Um, I think when you talk about, you know, the Navy um, and certainly, you know, some of the, the things that we talk about with, with fire and emergency services, um, you know, there's a, there's a big training component there. Um, and when you look at some other verticals, um, you know, even if we look at, uh, you know, let's say the public sector, for example, if you have things like high staff turnover and attrition, um, you know, you, you can have issues where new staff coming in, they don't get that knowledge transfer, that transition, um, you know, where now you're reinventing the wheel, right? Because you may not have had someone that mentored you along the way, someone, you know, you're excited and energized, you're new to the field. Um, and, and it gets frustrating if someone watches you struggle. And, uh, you know, they haven't educated or guided you to some past efforts or some existing processes that you might not be aware of. So, those certainly can have impacts where, um, you know, if, if that isn't transferred and, and you don't have that training, um, you know, where, where some of that could have a detrimental effect. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when you're looking at systems, <clears throat> you know, let's talk about, let's talk about DLAN since, I mean, uh, since that's the company that you, you do a lot of work with, how, how does, how does that help you and help your team um, during a crisis with processing um, systems and, and what's going on and, and really taking all the noise that's outside and, and bringing it into intelligible, workable information. Yeah, so I think first and foremost, one of the things that helps us is that we use our system day to day. I think that's different than a lot of um, you know, other organizations that may only have certain processes that they use during an emergency. Um, you know, if we only do something one time a year, we can kind of write that after action. It may not be successful. Um, so for us, we're in the system every single day. We use it for task management, project management. Um, so knowing those ins and outs um, is one benefit because it helps you relate to the customer. Um, it helps you understand the, the partners in, in the community that's using uh, the systems, um, you know, how you can help them when they call in during uh, an activation or an emergency or a planned event. Um, and they go, hey, we're, we're struggling with this or we're having this challenge. Um, and it allows you to be more responsive um, to them. Uh, it also, you know, from our standpoint, when you look at uh, the different processes within the application, um, one of the benefits that I, I think is in there is the flexibility. Um, to the point we just said, there's going to be things that you just don't plan for um, or that you don't have that binder on the shelf that you can pull off. Um, so having something that's flexible, that can adapt and that can move, um, to me, is is beneficial. Now, some people will tell you the more options they have, the more they get paralyzed because they're concerned if they're going to choose the right one. Mm -hmm. um, you know, other individuals look at it, it, it systems and go, 
hey, I'm hoping the system comes with a process built in um, that I can just follow. Those aren't always, um, you know, successful uh, because if you don't understand the hows and the whys, it's it's difficult to then, you know, have that be an intuitive tool for you to use. Um, so I think if you've got that flexible system that can be uh, adapted to your process and your workflow, it becomes more intuitive. Um, it becomes easier to pick up. Um, we know that during disasters and during, uh, you know, emergencies or crisis situations, um, you know, sometimes you're not going to have tools that you can access and you've got to go to that paper process. So can you transition from technology to a basic paper process and then within that same time frame, be able to transfer back from that paper process uh, or manual process into a more automated or, or, or technical process? Um, those are things that a lot of people don't think about. Um, you know, sometimes when we do that evaluation, it's, hey, this is going to be the silver bullet that's going to solve all of our issues. Um, and, and it doesn't become that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, that, be you know, gets a lot of people frustrated. So, you know, I, I think from that standpoint, you know, making sure that things are flexible and can adapt, knowing that your process needs to change and you need to reevaluate and keep looking as, as new things come into play. Um, so that you don't have something static. The worst thing you can do is is pull something off the shelf and say, I'm now have to conform to this thing, this right. box, you know, and I, I, I now have to change my workflow. I now have to change how I operate because there's limitations on this tool that I'm using. You never want that. You want to be able to say this tool is is following, you know, what I need as far as the outcomes so I'm going to need these triggers. I'm going to need these pieces of automation. I'm going to, I'm going to need this to be more of a force multiplier and a value added. Um, and if you can find a way to use it day to day, it becomes much easier um, than just something that you use once or twice for an exercise or a real life event. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to change direction here just a little sure. bit because I think we can we can add this into the conversation. So two things. One is I, I, I think about like medical training, right? Um, and, and when we take, teach first aid, right. Um, uh, all the way up to, you know, even I won't go as far as doctors because it's a whole different world up there, but at least first aid all the way to the emergency room. Um, and both you and I have, have been in, in that environment, um, that it's, it's about the same thing as stopping the bleeding and keeping the breathing going. Right. And then everything else is additional tools that you have, um, as you step up into higher training. And, and so. I, I was teaching uh, a, a class one time um, and the kid was really disappointed that I, because it was supposed to be like this high speed tack med type stuff. Right. And um, he's like, Oh, you know, why are we, you know, why aren't you just teach us how to use like the, the Israeli bandage or this bandage or that bandage. And I'm like, you know, why are you teaching me how to use stretch gauze? And I, I told him, I said, because, if you know how to do it with the basic stuff that's in any first aid kit that's out there, once you get to the wazoo, cool stretch bandages, all this other kind of stuff that's out there, the newer, cooler tools, you'll be able to still do it. It's all about the process of evaluating the body, finding what the problems are and fixing the leaking plumbing, right? Uh, or, or keeping the breathing going, those type, type of things. Um, and I and I, want, I take that lesson and I apply that to to other things as well that it's not about the tool that you have right Absolutely. it's about if you understand the process that helps you make the decision right that you understand where you need to evaluate evaluate the problem and make a decision um that's really where the process comes into play not 
not the shiny new object on the box or on the shelf. And and I get everybody, everybody gets caught up in it. I get caught up in it, right? You get a new software that comes out, you're like, oh my gosh, this is gonna save my life. The latest and greatest. Yeah, sure. you know, and he's just like, this is great. And you're like, well, okay, but at the end of the day, is it the same process that is it fixing fitting in the process that you already have established? Um, how do we how do we move people from that idea of looking for that shiny object on the shelf to to really understand what they're doing um in their we'll go back to SOPs or or how we're doing that assessment of the situation rather than the tool that's working. Yeah, so I think a lot of that comes from if you can do training to show real world examples of why that's important, that resonates more. A lot of folks, when they do training on process, are just more of the, you need to do A, B, and C. And there's no explanation of why, how, um, you know, what could be the adverse effects if we don't follow this. And I think if you can get that foundation down where everyone's comfortable, um, that's that's an opportunity then to to you know use those inflections of those real world um, you know scenarios um, to help build that case. Um, even just doing something as simple as a tabletop exercise or a tabletop discussion walkthrough, where you know you can go back to the lowest common denominator, which is you know paper, um, and you know where do we need to move this paper? Here's what's on this piece of paper. Who needs who's who needs to see that? Who is this information important to? Who who is this data important to? Um, and I think people like their eyes get really opened um, when they do that because a lot of times in a, in an electronic tool, you know, you don't see all those moving pieces and all those moving parts. Um, if you can break it down to its lowest form and and show individuals where that needs to go or who needs that information sometimes it's eye opening for individuals that have done this for 10 or 20 years this process to go i i never knew that this agency could have benefited from this or i never knew this organization this department um could have could have used this information and and that would have helped now i'll say on the flip side sometimes organizations are hesitant to do these types of of kind of tabletop exercises and walkthroughs. Some of that could be um, because they don't want to in front of a vendor or a third party facilitator. Um, They don't want to, you know, appear to be uneducated as to their roles or responsibilities. It could be that they're concerned that the outcomes of those discussions, um, you know, may, if they don't follow through on, on some of the, um, uh, you know, uh, different pieces that that are recommended that maybe those you know are are negative in an after action that had we done these things this wouldn't have happened Um, but I think there's more positive benefit to having those conversations and I know process is not you know for a lot of people it's hey we're going to go to a process meeting for a couple hours and we're going to lock ourselves in this conference room you know and some people like that's prison right they're like I'm I'm going to jail for the day (laughs) But hopefully, you know, you know, you get some good conversation out of it and it helps you build on those things, um, you know, going forward. Why is it that when you have a great understanding of what the process is, whether it's the SOP or or whatever you're using, you know, the way we've always done it type of attitude, why having a great, a deep understanding of that doesn't make decision making easier? Yeah, it's a great point. So if you know the process and you know the things that you need to do and you know how that impacts, you know, the process, you know, later down the road, um, it it allows you to now be more efficient 
it allows you to have a better understanding of how the other units and the other departments work within your organization. Um, and it allows you to now help with that decision-making process and, and speed that up. One of the things that I'll say that it can also do is frustrate you greatly if there's not buy-in to that process. Meaning if your organization has a, a well-defined process that you know in and out and that facilitates that communication, it speeds up data transfer, it allows everybody to be in the same page, right? You know, kind of that, that IAP concept, that incident action plan of we're all on the same sheet of music, we're all in the same playbook together. If you have that and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, new executives come in or a new leadership comes in and that process changes – that also can be frustrating because you can see the benefits you've, you know, built that process for these, you know, valuable uh, things. And maybe some of that process was built on past, uh, you know, best practices. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it can be frustrating when someone comes in and kind of tears that apart. A lot of different reasons for that. I want my stamp on it. I don't understand this and I want a process that I designed and developed. So I understand it. A lot of different, you know, reasons, or it could just be, hey, we've got new triggers coming from, you know, executive, we have new initiatives, maybe something comes out like a new concept that's being implemented in your organization, like FEMA's community lifelines, or maybe it's a cybersecurity event that you haven't had to deal with before, but now that's become more prevalent and, and impacts your organization. So you, you may have these triggers that require you to do new processes, but I, I always tend to, to try to make sure that everyone knows, don't just throw everything out and, and say that, you know, this process, you know, there was no meaning to it um, because that can frustrate a lot of people. And a lot of those processes were built for a reason um, and try to understand those first before you, you completely change them or, or modify them. Um, and not that that's not needed to reevaluate and, and to change them. Um, you know, they're a kind of a living uh, a document, um, but you want to understand the background first before you do that. Does incident command systems, ICS, does it need to be re revamped? You know, um, I'm a big proponent of ICS. Uh, and I think um, there have been a lot of great people that have come before me um, that were able to, you know, really help, uh, you know, build that program up. Um, what I will say, and I think, you know, some of this goes back to, and, and I've listened, you, you know, to you for quite some time. But if you go back and listen to some of the, the discussions that you had with Ashley Morris, like in the climb and lift, or I think it was episode 32 about a month ago, she had some great statements about standardization and education. And what you find a lot of, especially we'll take like the EOC side of, of or an emergency operations side, um, a lot of people will take uh, a different organizational type. So they'll start with ICS. But ultimately, they'll modify it and come up with, with you know, some difference, uh, you know, as to, you know, some roles and responsibilities, some naming of certain positions, um, and, and maybe some functions. And it's not the purest ICS that you'll find, but the concepts are still there and, that, and the need for the organizational elements are still there. Um, so what I would say is I, I think what you're finding is that a lot of people are trying to adopt ICS into different verticals. That maybe originally, um, you know, those uh, individuals that, that originally wrote a lot of that uh, guidance uh, and documentation may never have thought of this will be used for this application. 
Um, so in some of those areas, I could see where, um, you know, more discussion on standardization um, for different verticals, um, you know, especially for the corporate side, um, you know, helping them uh, with some of those transitions, but still keeping the, the foundation and the principles, um, you know, are important. Um, so in, in those areas, I could see where depending on the vertical you're in, um, certainly there could be benefit from, um, you know, further guidance on, on how those principles can be incorporated, that process can be incorporated. Um, but, but maybe it's not, you know, the exact uh, one-to-one, um, you know, that somebody out in the field on a wildfire would see. Yeah, I, I see it. I mean, I've worked within the system for a long time. I've seen it work, and <clears throat> but I've also seen it kind of have to be tweaked a bit when I looking for like law enforcement, for instance. And I know Randy Collins, Dr. Randy Collins, um, wrote a piece um, on, on that in law enforcement. And uh, I also know that, uh, you know, a couple other friend of mine is he's, he's working on a, on a book right now um, on, on ICS and law enforcement. Um, you know, and, and I think that's one of those weird things that you talk about processes that, that where there's communication failure, not communication failure in a sense of like, like doesn't work like it's broken it's communication failure in a sense of language failure right where we're on two different two different terminologies uh when it comes to what we're doing and we've seen that fail in some major incidents such 9-11 for instance is the one that comes to mind or maybe even sandy a little bit and things like this um what can we do to to fix that process with those large-scale disasters um, that we don't have that break in communication or break in understanding at least. Yeah. So I, I think that starts, um, you know, first when you look at the local level, um, you know, and, and the different support that the locals need, the different, um, you know, resources that they need, you know, a lot of times we talk about why, why weren't these things done, but then you look at the amount of, you know, uh, responsibility that we put on a lot of our first responder community with their day to day, um, and then expect to put another whole, uh, you know, level of, of needs and, and requirements on top of them. Yeah. Um, and, and it becomes overwhelming. And, and I think, you know, sometimes from a higher level, um, you know, maybe from that, that federal or state level, certainly there's a lot of requests, there's a lot of asks, um, there's a lot of um, needs. Um, but ultimately, a, a very wise emergency manager, when I first started, said, you know what, emergencies start and end local. Yeah. And if we're not supporting the, the local responders and their tip of the spear, if we're not advocating for them, if we're not giving them the resources, um, if we're not helping them, um, but we keep putting more needs on them, how do you expect them to, to always be able to, to step up and knock it out of the park a hundred percent. And I think for me, that's, that's one thing that I've seen in my career is, you know, what, what can we do more for those boots on the ground um, and, and try to take away some of the, you know, I know we call it the ivory tower or, you know, the, the folks that are sitting around a, a table saying, um, you know, we need to do this without maybe understanding those impacts at that local level or, or what may be needed to carry out those things. Not that they're not important, but are, are we, you know, kind of doing some unrealistic expectations based on what people have available to them? Sometimes it's, well, I say sometimes it's always easier to make a decision when you're in the warm or cold <laughs> air conditioned EOC, drinking a cup of coffee or a cold drink of water 
compared to the guy who's or gal who's uh you know knee deep in muck uh trying to figure out how to how to fix the situation with uh you know gum shoes or, or gum and shoestrings and and duct tape right absolutely yeah absolutely so you know kind of getting here to the to the end what are your key takeaways for people today i mean like you know, you're talking to the emergency managers out here in the world and to to those students that are that are, that are coming up well what's the key takeaway for when you think about following process like why you know we have people that always fight the fight the fight the power right they're like ah yeah. you know well why why should we be following the process and not fight it so the one thing i'll say is a good process is fully supported at all levels right that can mitigate some of the loss of knowledge that we've talked about and, and improve some of the opportunities for a successful outcome so you got to get buy-in right it, it can't be something that's standalone that only a couple people you know a, agree to or buy into so you really need to build that network and build that community and build that buy-in and you're going to have to go at it from a you know, hundred different angles um, to, to try to do that. And sometimes that's planting a seed and it's going to take a little while. Sometimes it's not overnight. Don't get frustrated. Um, I think a lot of people, you know, don't get paralyzed by not reaching out to other organizations and asking for some of their best practices. Um, you know, sometimes what you're trying to do has, has been done and, and some people have already fought the fight and, and you can just take some of their work and they'll be happy to help you. Um, and, and use that as a good foundation or starting point. I think the other thing is whatever tool you select to help with your process, you need to make sure that when you do training, you're training on the process in parallel with the tool. If all you do is train on the tools and nobody understands the process, then they're not going to understand. They're just going to go, well, I, I don't know where every, all my data went. It, it's kind of a black hole for me, and I don't know where to go to update it. I don't know where to go to see it. I'm intimidated because if I push this button, I, I don't know what happens. And am I going to delete something? And you literally will paralyze people. If all you do, you can have the best process in the world and the best tool in the world. But if all you do is teach people on the tool, um, you need to give them the full understanding. So, you know, those are some things that I would say. And then just continuing education. You have to make sure that you're continually not only educating the people that are in the process, but you've got to talk to your stakeholders and the individuals that interact with that process at different times and in different areas, um, you know, when, when critical, because if, if you don't, um, you're, you're going to literally have this thing that nobody's following um, and nobody understands. And, and again, it doesn't matter what tool, even if it's a paper uh, piece of paper and a pen, if they don't have a good base foundation of what you're trying to accomplish and, and what those uh, you know, interconnected pieces are um it, it's not going to be successful absolutely brian how can people find you yeah so i mean you totally can find me uh you know by going to our website um you know for bcg um you know and and, and reaching out that way um and you know be more than happy to to help anyone um, you know, even if it's, it has nothing to do with tools, um, sometimes it's good just to, uh, you know, have some group therapy and, and talk through some uh, things that other people have experienced just so you don't feel like you're the only one out there. So um, I, I always love networking with individuals. It's a small community, the emergency management and, and first responder community. There's so many great people. Um, and I just look forward to, to meeting more individuals. And, you know, if we can help them in any way, that's great. Um, like I said, sometimes that's just an ear to listen to and, and tell people, hey, you're okay. You're not you're not going crazy. Are you going to Savannah? 
Uh, I am not. No, Tim will be down there. Uh, so unfortunately, I will not be down there. All right. Well, then we'll see Tim over in Savannah at IEM uh, conference. So if you guys can go, always see see him at the at the conference as well. Brian, thank you for your time today. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. Let's do this again sometime. Absolutely, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Hey everybody else, thank you so much for being here with me today. It's uh, taking the time out of your day to listen to what we're talking about. And processes are, is important. Um, I think that uh, we all um, understand them, uh, but sometimes we need to embrace them and get other people to embrace them as well. I also want to, again, say happy birthday to the United States Navy for 247 years of, of protecting this great nation that we live in. And to all the men and women that are serving today, have a great day. Go Navy. Beat Army. Until next time, stay safe and stay hydrated.